So suddenly was the summer over like a bellows days shrank. The fireplace puffed out embers that flickered and soon extinguished. Where over the heart soot began to sign its name, firewood sat in a pile of splinters. The tree tallest in the forest lightning felled. I went there to the forest. Up on the hill behind our house, I frolicked and tramped through the mud to a place I thought no one else had ever been before. It was so deep into the wilderness, finding instead in a clearing hunter's leavings, cold fire pits, rusting tin cans, the casings of distinct calibers of weapon. A fox hunt discarded, passing through the fields like a noisy moon, the sparks of munitions lighting up their faces. I imagine some quarry in his den of earth, the pillars of trees, labyrinthine witnesses. Speak aloud these words, the tall tree of the ear. I put my head against the fireplace, that with a deep breath the embers might confess to me what they've seen while the room fills up with their warmth. Hello and welcome back to Words That Burn, podcast taking a closer look at poetry. I've taken a very long break over the Christmas period, but I'm back now. And this week we'll be taking a look at the phenomenal elegy, Outrageous, by Stephen Sexton. Ekphrasis is a form of poetry that seeks to describe other works of art. Works of an ekphrastic nature, apart from sounding wonderful, seek to capture the beauty of visual art in some kind of linguistic form. They are often about paintings, sculpture or dance, and they can branch out to cover just about anything. To quote literary critic James A.W. Heffernan, Ekphrasis is the verbal representation of graphic representation. Stephen Sexton has created an ekphrastic masterwork of something not often chosen as the subject of the style, video games. This poem, and indeed the collection it comes from, If All the World and Love Were Young, is a love letter to the classic Nintendo game Super Mario World. Each level of the game becomes the subject of one of the poems in the collection. The reader takes the same journey any player of the game would. Sexton moves us through all of Super Mario World, one Technicolor landscape at a time. You'd be forgiven for thinking that Super Mario seems an unusual choice for such a long and intense homage, but in the hands of a poet like Sexton, it becomes a powerful vehicle through which to explore one of life's most difficult topics, grief. In 2012, Sexton unfortunately lost his mother to cancer, and so this collection becomes an exploration of the time before, during, and after this tragic event. When explaining why he chose to tackle such a serious issue from such a unique and unusual angle, Sexton explained that he found that using an idealized fictional world, like that of Super Mario, 
functioned as a kind of investigative tool through which he could highlight the more stark parts of reality. He is quoted as saying, I guess I'm mapping that onto Super Mario as an alternative place, as an idealized childhood safety kind of thing. Sexton fuses memory, nostalgia, loss, and childhood together into a testament to the times he spent with his mother. Sexton has always had a talent for the surreal in his work. The late poet Ivan Boland once praised him highly, stating his work is distinctive amongst the poets of his generation for its occasional but sure-footed navigation of the surreal. This praise came early in his career, and if it was occasional then, it is a near constant now, and plied with absolute confidence. The poet seamlessly melds the landscapes of Super Mario World with scenes from his own memory and times growing up in Northern Ireland and abroad. These images slip fluidly between one another, leaving the reader in a state of uncertainty as to whether or not the video game is being dealt with or reality itself. Upon analysing Outrageous for the first time, I genuinely thought that Sexton had dropped the premise of the book towards the end poems and simply chose to write referencing the real world. I had to eat crow as I watched a playthrough on YouTube of the level in question and found it full of trees and bullets, or in this case, bullet bills. Indeed, towards the end of the collection, the fusion of two states of being becomes so complete that each poem seems realist in its content. An astounding achievement, in my opinion. I've included a link to that same playthrough below if you'd like to check it out for yourself. Or, if you'd rather avoid a video of any kind, I've included an extended screenshot of the level in its entirety. It looks a little like a long medieval tapestry. That sense of fused realities goes one step further when you take into account how Sexton has chosen to structure the poems of his collection. There is a clue hidden in the first pages of his book, Sexton explains that the Super Nintendo is a 16-bit console. Put simply, 16-bit refers to how much memory the system can process at one time. Each line of the poem is written with 16 syllables in them, a clever nod to how much of Sexton's own memory can be processed at a time. Each poem also has the rough appearance of a square to mimic the shape of a pixel. As the poet put it himself, I felt like it wasn't enough to just describe the images that were on the screen. I needed to find a way to approximate the feeling or the experience of playing it. This is Ekphrasis on another level, if you'll excuse the pun. I'd like to make a quick note here. Normally I would try to remain objective about the speaker of the poem. Given the deeply personal nature of this collection, I think it is fair to say that we can refer to the speaker as Sexton or the Poet, which I will do from here on out. As Outrageous goes on, the line between Mario and memory blurs, emotions become transferable from the speaker to other avatars. Outrageous is situated towards the end of the book, after the death of the author's mother. Naturally, grief is its primary theme. It showcases a world with a little less spark in it now, 
one that the author never thought would be cold. He makes this clear from his opening section. So suddenly was the summer over, like a bellows days shrank, the fireplace puffed out embers that flickered and soon extinguished. There is an immediate sense of loss at this end of summer. It is the close of warmer times, commonly associated with sun and enjoyment. More importantly than that, summer is often associated with childhood and coming of age. In this instance, it is possibly and unfortunately the end of the speaker's childhood. The sting of this is made all the more unbearable in the word suddenly. This was unexpected. This was something the poet could never prepare for. Naturally, with colder days looming, fires are turned to. There is a sense of futility in this one, however, as it only produces puffed out embers. Ones that are so fleeting, they may as well never have happened. There are myriad ways to interpret this image. It could be the poet's reflection on the fleeting nature of existence. It might symbolize the sheer loss of hope for him. Or it may, as many of the other poems do, simply show the glimpses of memory and warmth that are in a constant state of change. The last two words are incredibly final, soon extinguished, and we are left in little doubt as to their meaning. As you might expect, the allusion to fire also has strong ties to the video game level itself. As Mario and the player themselves traverse the level, little balls of fire roll around the forest floor, threaten to do harm constantly. Some of the iconic piranha plants of Mario's world cast out tiny flickering fireballs that are in turn soon extinguished. Right from the beginning, both worlds become inseparable. In the next section, the imagery of undoing takes hold. Where over the hearth, soot began to sign its name, firewood sat in a pile of splinters. The tree tallest in the forest, lightning felled. I went there to the forest, up on the hill behind our house. I frolicked and tramped through the mud to a place I thought no one else had ever seen before. It was so deep into the wilderness. Now, deterioration is settling in like the soot on the hearth. Firewood is seen destroyed, and even symbols that the speaker had once considered mighty, the tree tallest in the forest, have been struck down now, lightning felled. Nothing is permanent, nothing sacred. In the face of such destruction, Sexton retreats to a forest behind his childhood home. The forest is also the setting of the level in the game, filled with trees that tower above Mario, making him seem tiny in comparison. The scene is complete with digital leaves occasionally falling across the screen or in the background. We can see in the use of words like frolicked and tramped that there are still glimmers of childhood left behind. They are soon stamped out though when Sexton realizes 
but the place they thought no one else had ever seen before has been disturbed. This shock to the speaker is another subtle reference to the game. The final levels of Super Mario World are located in a special world, a hidden location on the map. Naturally, any young player who might find themselves there would consider it a secret that few knew. The discovery of the opposite would come as quite a blow, as the next few lines attest. Finding instead in a clearing hunter's leavings, cold fire pits, rusting tin cans, the casing of distinct calibers of weapon. A fox hunt discarded passing through the fields like a noisy moon, the sparks of munitions lighting up their faces, I imagine. Not only is the speaker mistaken in how unknown this place is, but they are now faced with a spoiled place, one filled with remnants of a hunting party, their cold leavings. That coldness once again stands in stark contrast to the heat the place once held. This is a resurgence of Northern Irish imagery to the poem, a sexton lists a collection of artefacts commonly associated with fox hunting, an activity that is still legal there. This could be seen as a further knock to childhood innocence, another painful moment of leaving naivete behind. The imagery of hunting certainly matches that of destruction and undoing seen earlier in the poem. Again, Super Mario World is subtly infused into the imagery being used here. Casings, as mentioned earlier, are a reference to the classic enemy type, Bullet Bill, who are littered all over the outrageous level. The rusting cans are a little more abstract a reference, but I'm fairly certain that they refer to the iconic Mario plumbing tubes, many of which are colored a rusty orange and yellow throughout. Again, I cannot stress enough that if you want to engage with this act of ekphrasis properly, you really must check out the playthrough in the description for yourself. The final two lines of the section describe a field disturbed by a noisy moon, which at first glance might be confusing, but it is in fact an obscure way to show how moonlight hangs in slivers on blades of grass. He then lends that image to a new one altogether, that of gunshot lit faces in pursuit of animals. You may have noticed by now that there is a severe lack of punctuation occurring with each image leading directly into the next. The first lines of the poem have line breaks that serve to slow the reader's progress in a non-intrusive way. Now that flow is unbroken. Much like the use of 16 syllables and the square format as an ounce to the game, this rapid-fire progression mimics the music of the original level. As it is a special zone in the game, there is an emphasis on challenge and difficulty. Players have 300 seconds to complete the level as the clock counts down. The music intensifies and speeds up, leading to an incredible level of tension. That mounting tension is mimicked by the fast pace that readers are forced to take when moving through the poem. 
This tension is one we keenly feel moving into the next section. I imagine some quarry in his den of earth. The pillars of trees, labyrinthine witnesses. Speak aloud these words, the tall tree of the ear. I put my head against the fireplace that with a deep breath, the embers might confess to me what they've seen while the room fills with their warmth. Sexton is setting a scene in his own mind, adding even more peril as the quarry is introduced, some anonymous creature hidden away from the foe or foes above. A sinister quality is granted to the labyrinthine trees as they are transformed into pillars, directly paralleling the 16-bit game where the trees stretch off the screen. A true juxtaposition takes place here, though, the playful vibrance of Mario, the sense of joy and harmlessness that accompanies the game, has been erased by the mention of this hunt set in the depth of night. This creature seeking refuge desperately. It's almost as though grim reality has started to infect the game in some way. That the merging of both worlds in the wake of actual tragedy is tilting heavily in one direction. There is a sudden stop in the barrage of imagery with the semicolon. Speak aloud these words to the tall tree of the ear. This is possibly the most obtuse of the images given to us by Sexton. I've taken it to mean that his own ears act as a witness to things. The speaker has in effect become one of the strange trees. I'd love to know what you thought of this image, as I found it quite challenging. We are returned to the original image of the hearth and the fireplace, two traditional symbols of the home. The pace of the poem slows right down at this point. The speaker is searching for the remnants of the past now, some kind of salvation for that ended summer. Sexton is looking for any trace of his mother in the wake of her death. He is seeking anything that might spark a memory of her or soothe the loss of her. And yet, we feel he will be disappointed. Despite that, there are glimmers of hope in those final lines. Ones that stand in sharp contrast to the grief that seems omnipresent in the collection. We don't know if the embers breathing some kind of warmth back into the speaker's life will happen. We don't know if that room will fill up with warmth again. We are only left with Sexton's hope that it might. And so, as the end of the poem draws near, we are left with that same lack of closure that Sexton was. And that has to be enough for us as readers. So, why this poem? I think as an artifact, if all the world and love were young, is simply one of the most effective elegies I've ever read. The whole work gives the complex emotions of grief and loss room to be explored. More than that, the unique setting of Super Mario World allows the poet to explore these difficult emotional landscapes in a familiar way. 
The poet puts it best in conversation with Carlo Gabler. The other strange thing, I suppose, when, when I think about it is that I, th I think an obvious way of maybe thinking about how the book works, and, and I find this, and I'm grateful for um, anyone who thinks about it, um, but I never saw this as, as about being, you know, an escapist uh, device or an escapist plot. Um, and I think that's one of the, the ways we often think about this, that um, some things are, are hard and I want to I want to get away from them. Um, for me, I kind of find myself in a, an, in a kind of bewildering place and wanting to get out of it again, um, like finding myself in this series of um, this world of symbols and icons and strange landscapes and wanting to get back to the one that I recognized um, in the way that grief makes the world feel really strange um, and that you want to get back uh, to how it used to be. That theme, finding your way back from the wilderness, is, to me, best exemplified in this poem. It gives hope to many people who have felt lost in the same way and shows them that someday they might find their way back again, too. What did you think of the poem? I'd love to know. You can get in touch with me in a few different ways. You can check out my website www.wordsthatburnpodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram at wordsthatburnpodcast I'm also on Twitter at wordsthatburnpodcast If you enjoyed this episode and know someone else who might enjoy it too please share it with them it's a great way for me to grow naturally Please also consider leaving me a review wherever you listen to this podcast as it really would help me out Next week's episode will be on the love poems of E.E. E. Cummings. This episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this episode is by Scott Buckley and is used under Creative Commons license. The show notes for this episode, complete with references to all sources cited, can be found below on Substack or on the website in PDF form. Thank you so much for listening to me. And you'll hear from me again soon.